We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Thank you all for joining us today um, for talking about moving toward a pro-social culture. It's going to be a little bit of an interesting, maybe a little bit different if you're an ed uh, webinar guru, because we actually are going to show you uh, kind of behind the scenes to the creation of some tools. And you all are invited to become academic reviewers. Thank you for uh, joining us today. We'd like to thank our sponsor, uh, MePub or Meteor Publishing. Uh, so I am a published author through MePub. That's uh, uh, the book Whole, What Teachers Need to Help Students Thrive with my uh, colleagues, Rex Miller and Bill Latham. The journey you're going to get insight into today as we are literally creating materials that are not yet into the world. And you are asked to be an academic reviewer into those materials. John O has been helping to create those and Surviving the Storm by our very own Linda Gale Walker. Um, absolutely brilliant conversation about social emotional fluency and what happens in the classroom. Thank you to our sponsors. Absolutely. So y'all, before we get started with uh, today, want to make sure that you know who you have on the call. You have Kevin. He is going to be your primary troublemaker and driver. You have Linda Gale Walker, who, as Kevin said, is a uh, an expert in social-emotional learning and trauma, not causing it, but rather uh, responding effectively to it. And, and chaos I'm coordinator. Yeah, chaos coordinator, John, is what I'm going to say for both of you. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> that's, that's fair. We can both be chaos coordinators. Other than that, I am a former teacher. And as Kevin said, the primary author on the resources we will be asking you to review today. So before we jump into that, if you haven't already, hop into the chat. Oh, there we go. If you haven't already, hop into the chat and tell us who you are, where you're from, and what place in your life makes you feel the most at peace. So take a second, hop in the chat, familiarize yourself, and let us know those things. You know, that question is actually really important when we think about this word pro-social because pro-social is about being authentic and that's an authentic question. We could have asked you what fruit you want to be, but uh, that probably isn't authentic. Linda Gale, as folks are chatting it up, talk to us a little bit about what's the meaning of pro-social because we're talking about a pro-social culture and how we create that in the classroom. You know, Kevin, I, I think it's so important to start thinking, especially as we talk to all of our secondary people here as well today. Um, pro-social culture, pro-social is really something in psychology, which we talk about behaviors that lead to helping, sharing, caring for others. But one of the things we also are really common with, we hear lots about antisocial behavior. And pro-social is really the, the opposite of that. But one of the things I like to always say is I look at middle school students and high school students especially, sometimes we see behaviors and we think about what's wrong with you. And what we really need to think about is what's happened to you and how can we all work together to ensure that this culture is pro-social and we are helping, sharing, and caring for others. And that goes to having lots of things in the environment, even proximity, those kinds of pieces to ensure that we are building that sense of culture and community in our classrooms we in schools that we want. Outstanding. And by the way, if you are uh, uh, watching this as a recording or you are hearing us on the podcast, we'll give you a sense of what you're seeing in the chat. Jono, uh, what are you seeing in the chat there? 
I'm seeing lots of folks who really enjoy or feel peaceful by the beach. Uh, <laughs> some folks who think that reading or singing or dancing, some creative pursuits here I'm seeing uh, as far as peaceful places or activities. And then someone after my own heart, Cynthia really feels at peace at the gym, picking heavy things up and putting them back down. Very impressed with you people. I am more of like toes in the sand girl myself. So, <laughs> By the way, if you see Laura Lockhart uh, in the chat, she is also a colleague and she is helping to keep the chat going and monitoring. Um, so we'll go ahead and, and move forward. Our uh, goal today is to engage you all in thinking about how do we build habits for sustainable impact with new psychological behaviors or new psychological skills? And it, it, this conversation really began, so, you know, I, I, I wrote a book with my co-authors. Of course, it, it, it came out just two weeks after the pandemic. Thank you very much. Great, optimal time. Uh, and then Linda Gale uh, uh, wrote her book as she was thinking about surviving the storm. And, and that became really interesting post-pandemic. But as the needs have increased, we know that, you know, a lesson, for instance, a lesson on self-regulation or a lesson on uh, mindfulness doesn't magically transform the student into a mindful butterfly, right? And so what we've been thinking about is how do we create just small little moments that are repeatable, that are really easy to do in the classroom, that will have a sustainable impact by creating a new type of habit. And we're going to take you through a couple of examples today of what that's like. By the way, if you're on the podcast, it makes complete sense just hearing it. But you also will receive examples of these that you can use. And we're really hoping that you will give us feedback as real-time academic reviewers. So, Jono, take it away a moment. Absolutely. Before we get or before we kind of hop into anything content related, we wanted to first give you this as an example of what a moment looks like and sounds like and do it for you because you might need it. It might have been a busy week or a busy month or a busy day or you might even be having what feels like a busy eternity. So we're going to give you a chance here to do a little bit of pause and a little bit of stillness. So everyone go ahead and place your feet flat on the ground if you're seated, if you're standing. Get your spine in line. Find yourself a nice, comfortable place to be. Take your hand, hold it out in front of you like this, or place it down as you see on the picture on the screen on a desk in front of you, and then a finger from your other hand and link it up with your thumb. Go ahead and real quick trace your finger along the contours of your hand, starting from the outside of your thumb, moving along every one of the crevices of your fingers until you hit your pinky on the other side. Now, some of you haven't started yet because you're like, they can't see me. They know I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm serious. You're going to like it. Trace all the way back. And but now, if you're driving and listening to the podcast, don't do this yet. <laughs> if you are driving, that would be uh, problematic and dangerous. Yes. Don't do that. Safety warning. Safety warning. <laughs> now, same hand position, but this time, I want you to bring your focus to your breath. As your index finger traces up each of your other fingers, I want you to breathe in. And as it traces down, breathe out. I challenge you to breathe in all the way and time your breath so that your lungs fill 
right here at the top and then empty at the bottom. We're going to breathe five times. Breathe in and out. In and out. Follow your breath. See if you can't time it exactly with full lungs and empty lungs. One more breath, big breath in and out. Awesome. Thank you. Go ahead and shake your hands out. Shake them out. Shake them out. Now, after you've had that moment of presence, a moment of breath, consider a word that you'd like to bring to the center of your attention, to the center of your intention. That word might be patience or love or generosity or a word that you have in your mind right now that you're like, hmm, I could use a little more of that in my life right now. Go ahead and think about that word. And then when you're ready, toss it in the chat. My word for today is generosity. I'd like to bring a little more generosity into my life. And as you're thinking about those words, Consider that activity we just did. What did you notice about your breath? What did you notice about your attention? How are you feeling now as compared to, to when we started? LGW, how are you feeling now? You know, I'm feeling a little bit calmer. I mean, I've, you know, this is always anything you do that's new is a little bit exciting. And so that kind of helped me breathe. And I'm not quite as out of breath as I was earlier, John. <laughs> that's good. You know, I don't go to the gym all the time, so it's harder for us that are the over certain of age crowd. <laughs> you know, if you if you follow the conversation in American schools, for instance, about some schools are interested in yoga practices in the classroom. Uh, others are doing different kinds of mindfulness experiences um, uh, at their core. Almost all of them have breathing. Uh, if you look at the medical literature, uh, doctors, when they're talking about how do you decrease your blood pressure or um, uh, decrease your stress levels, controlling your breathing and becoming mindful of your breathing is one of the most effective um, uh, uh, psychobiological uh, resources that we have. So what you've just done here actually has a lot of medicine, a lot of a lot of uh, psychology behind it. But it's a really simple little moment that you can do with your kids in the classroom. It wasn't a lesson. It wasn't a part of a curriculum. But it was something that you could pull out of your hat, especially on those days where it was rainy and the kids came in and, you know, they just needed to simmer down for a minute. Absolutely. Donna, how, how, how did we come to, to be thinking about all of this? And, and tell us a little bit about your journey as a teacher, because everything that we're talking about actually comes from the real world. And it's one of the reasons why we're asking everyone here to be a real world academic reviewer to these materials. Absolutely. I will tell you that my first experience in a classroom as a 22-year-old uh, recent college graduate in room 152 at Thomas Jefferson High School in Dallas, Texas, did not involve very much deep breathing. In fact, I was holding my breath every morning, standing in front of my students, hoping that I wouldn't mess it up, and then knowing at the end of the day that in some ways I had absolutely messed it up at least a little bit. And the experience that I had personally as a high school student was vastly different than the experience my students were having, not just in my classroom, but in classrooms across the school. For me, high school was this 
fabulous opportunity to connect with other people and learn about all the possibilities that I could potentially experience in the world. And the students that I was working with at Thomas Jefferson High School in Dallas, Texas, were coming to school and not experiencing a whole lot of engagement, which at the time I thought was very much my fault. And now I know is about 50% on me and 50% because they were coming to my class with all kinds of heavy things in their backpacks. Things like traumatic experiences at home, like having to come off working a night shift with mom and dad to make sure they can put food on the table, to worrying about their self-esteem and being concerned about what they're going to be or do in the world. What that meant was that their ability to learn in my class was absolutely hindered by their mindset. And what I learned at a professional development session put on by the Momentus Institute at some point during my first year of teaching was that not only could they not pay attention in my class or be engaged because of those things they were walking in with, but actually organically, chemically, and biologically, if their brains were emotionally dysregulated or their amygdalas were hijacked, that their brains actually were incapable of recording new information, which meant that anytime I stood up and tried to teach them a whole bunch of algebra while they were dysregulated, I was using my breath in an ineffective way and wasting it in a lot of cases. The turning point for me happened when I attended an event put on by these two gentlemen here, Alejandro Perez Jr. and Will Ritchie, called Diverse Lounge. It was an under-21 spoken word poetry event that included kids as young as kindergarten and as old as college standing up in front of a whole bunch of community members and reading pieces of writing that they had written meant to speak their truth and share their light. And I realized after attending this place that this, this type of environment was akin to what I wanted my students to feel in my classroom. I wanted them to feel seen, feel heard, acknowledged, and understood in a way that at the time I didn't really know how to do, but I knew I wanted to. I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer. I'm not an actor. My poetry is, is leaves something to be desired. And so I knew that I had to bring some element of this space back to my classroom. And so before I keep talking about the origins of, of these materials and kind of the inspiration behind them, I want to give you a sense of what this place was like. So what we're going to do right now is play a quick video during which you're gonna see some images of what this space looked like. But more importantly, you're gonna hear the words of an educator. Her name is Lisa Schmidt. She's a dear friend and mentor. And she has a unique perspective on what it means for adults to connect authentically with young people. So while you watch, if one of the lines that Lisa says really resonates with you or you, you hear something that she says and, and it really hits you, go ahead and toss that in the chat so we can see what it's like to, to watch this video. You can turn on your light and let it shine. And perhaps the teenagers may see. It lets them know that there is indeed a light out there for them. Sometimes steady, sometimes flickering, but a light nevertheless. It takes fuel to keep your light shining. Food, sleep, 
peace and quiet that can be bought with money, love that requires no money, and friends to love that only requires courage. And if you let the teenagers come close to you, stand right there next to you, they wonder at how you make that light. Then wondering how you do it transforms into practicing. Two lights, three lights, more lights, all flickering can make space bright. If you have a light that shines, bring the teens in close without trepidation. My promise, by the warmth of my light, it will be brighter. The shadows that dim your hope are always going to come and go, but reflect on this. Fixing is impossible. Helping is hard, but serving is easy. You don't fix because no one is broken. You don't help because no one is weak. You serve because serving makes things whole again. Fuel your light and let it shine. You know, Jono, Diverse Lounge is is so powerful. And actually, we have friends in um, New York City that have been doing some other kind of spoken word programs. But um, uh, I went there, and I'm a person who speaks for a living. And um, I was so moved. There was a student who um, read aloud a letter that they had written to their newborn child about postpartum depression. And another student who read aloud a message for their father who was in jail. I was so moved. I actually wrote a poem in real time while I was sitting there. And I got up and, and, and recited it. And it was one of the most terrifying moments of my life uh, professionally but also one of the most gratifying because you felt completely uh, supported by this group. But it was just that, that, that one moment, I mean, literally like two or three minutes. And I know that at the heart of what we've been talking about is how do you, how do you take that experience and create similar kinds of connected moments inside of the classroom? Absolutely. For me, the, the experience that I had Showed you this too early. The experience that I had was that when I went back to my classroom and tried to put some of these, these ideas into practice, what I started noticing around campus was that moments of human connection were happening all over the place. Moments of connection like a student running up to their favorite teacher to show them triumphantly a grade that they had gotten in another class, or one of my students giving me a hand-folded origami paper crane once a week at the end of the week because they were just thinking about me or a student celebrating uh, a victory on a sports field or a birth in the family. There were moments happening all over the place. They weren't necessarily happening during moments of instruction, but they were happening. And so before we get going much further, we'd love to invite you to consider and tell us what are some of the moments of deepest connection that, that happen or you, that you see in your classroom, on campus, or in your district? I think Rosa already noted it in the chat, you know, the close relationship with my students. Some of the other moments just to reflect upon. And, and I think another thing too, John, when we talk about these moments, we talked about the pro-social culture earlier. I mean, Kevin, you said the same thing. When you were in Diverse Lounge, you really felt the support. And it's intriguing because I'm going to guess, Kevin Baird, that you didn't know anybody, very many people, when you were there that night. 
But that culture was there and it wasn't as dependent on the people in the room as the moments that were built. So that's something really cool. And also I'm looking here, we've got um, some while interacting with them through games, when my students stand up for me and their peers, personal moments. You know, uh, I'm reminded, I, I, I was thinking about the games. So uh, one of the foundational ideas behind um, uh, creating uh, tools for moments as compared to a curriculum, if you will, or a scope and sequence or something like that, is actually the idea of coaching. Uh, so if you think about our students who very often might struggle in the classroom, but they connect with a coach, uh, perhaps in athletics or some other kind of event, it's uh, that human connection, perhaps even outside of academics, that becomes really important that actually bleeds into all of the other academic elements. Well, and we were talking earlier about breathing, and I, I'm a little bit because I kind of deal with the boys' life with sports mom, but breathing is such a big part of sports psychology as well and all of these things and trying to get them to be a little bit more mindful of things as they practice those intentional pieces. One of the things I think was really cool too, I read here was somebody becoming activist for things they're passionate about, warmly welcoming each student to my classroom every day, children sharing how they feel. I like this one too, making connections with students when they're in crisis and to actively listen. And that's difficult for us sometimes. We get so busy. It's difficult to actually listen and let the students talk. And then um, I love this, Tara. Tara says that she went to a catered event and a former student was the chef and that he remembered her. That's one of the <laughs> best things for me too when I, as a teacher and as an administrator was to get to see the, do you remember me? And, and sometimes you can see their faces um, from the past. So, Absolutely. There's so many examples in the chat of warm or challenging moments of human connection because human connection isn't always positive. Sometimes it's just deep. And that was what I noted as I went back to my school is that there were lots of moments of incredible joy that led to happiness, especially when shared. There were lots of moments of, of pain or challenge that oftentimes could be divided uh, when shared with other people. And the most impactful thing that I started to notice as I brought some activities and concepts and, and repetition into my classroom was that my students started to change their outlook, their beliefs, their mindsets. And I think we all kind of have a, an instinctual understanding that our beliefs about ourselves, about others, about the world around us innately impact the behaviors that we exhibit, the paths that we choose, the journeys that we take. And then those behaviors end up impacting or, or causing our outcomes. And the most important piece of what I started to see in my classroom was that those beliefs that students held couldn't possibly change after one lesson. They couldn't possibly be altered after one iteration. If I had a student who wasn't sure if I was a trustworthy adult, I have to be a trustworthy adult for that student six, seven, eight, nine, ten times before that problematic belief might open up into some positive behaviors and positive outcomes. But it's important to acknowledge that this concept, this opportunity, this idea of purposefully creating moments of authentic connection on a, on a school campus isn't without challenges. There are some, some things that, that absolutely feel like they're standing in the way. 
LGW, we tell us a little bit about some of those things that might, well, might stand I will, in the way? And I'll, and I'll tell y'all something. This is just a story that I had thought, just thought of as you were talking. And, and one of the things in Texas, I'm from Texas, and I know none of the people on this will understand anything about testing and standardized testing at the state level. I'm sure no one here is aware of that, but that, that happens sometimes. Um, but what, what happened, we had a girl come in and she was late and it was the day standardized testing and she comes in and I could tell she'd been crying and I'd, I'd been an administrator several years with her and she walked in and I said, Hey, are you everything okay? And she said, but I'm, I'm here, Ms. Walker. I'm here. And I said, okay, honey, are you okay? And she said, yeah, but I know today's a big day. And I said, well, honey, I know but are you okay? And she goes, no, the police raided our house last night and I had to hide in the closet all night long. So they didn't take me and my brother again. And my heart broke. And she, she had this belief that I would care more about the test than her. And it broke my heart. And I said, babe, you don't have to do anything today. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it is something that we really talk about because there are so many things. I mean, all of you, if you're on this call and you work with education or have very long, you know that kids have beliefs about themselves. And you also know that many of these beliefs come from things like their ACEs, the trauma they've had, the time they have, just lack of resources, all of these things that really do affect them as they come in our classroom. And we get, we still are held to the standard of things we have to do and teach. And one of the things for me that really does hit home with this, um, having something similar to this with the moment is oftentimes it, it feels like sometimes it's a push and pull for us. Um, do I teach this? And then what if I have to give up? And what I really hope that you see through this is this moment isn't to take the place of something else. It's not like a curriculum. But when I, when I wrote my book, Surviving the Storm, and we really looked at leading through post-traumatic growth, one of my favorite lines was death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's kind of what it felt like. And we're having to try to get back in to some focus and movement. And the pandemic caused lots of disruptions. Um, and one of the things we've seen a lot is our school, you know, safety. I am working in Uvalde on the new, and Kevin, you've heard me talk about this ad nauseum probably, on the new elementary school. And one of the things that we've just talked so much about is educating, and that's so important, but how do we make this school feel safe without feeling so hardened? And that's something we see, too, in the classroom is we want to build connections with these kids. And we know that that's important. But how do we do that and still do all the things we have to do? So as a teacher and especially working even with first year college students, what I noticed so much is I wanted to make a connection. But I felt such pressure at the secondary level to have it. You know, my time was so limited with with class periods that one of the things I really hit me was I needed tools because I, I feel like I'm decently good at this, but sometimes I just didn't have the bandwidth to come up with something quick. And so that's one of the things I think when we talk about, it, it's about creating this environment. It's about really creating these moments, but it sure does help to have some tools available to make these moments, as you said too earlier, Jono, intentional. And that helps us develop those beliefs. You know, that's one of the reasons why we're here. So we've had a lot of conversations about there are there are curricula, there are lessons, but the lessons are literally just one time. And we know that we have to change habits. We have to build new psychological practices for students. But that isn't a part of what we're often thinking about or asked to do in the K-12 setting. 
And so as we in our own practice, we're thinking about, well, how do we make sure that we're really getting this right and we're really being of service? So let's go out on EdWeb and let's ask folks if they would actually review. They would try out some samples, give us feedback, tell us other things that they have been doing. Because the reality is that most of the time, things for classrooms are created by other people right? They're not created by educators. They're created by publishers. And they don't necessarily hit the mark. There's software right now that will give you more data, more information about supposedly what students psychologically need. I don't know about you. I'm so sick of data. I'm like drowning in data. But you're not going to use that in the moment. And creating habits is about the moment and a lot of them over time. I like to think about it as how we change our diet. You know, I, I buy more apples in January than any other month because I'm going to be really good about my diet. And then I realize, you know, come March, I'm still back on the burger train, as John O knows. Um, <laughs> so the way that you continuously create new psychological habits is through moments. And they're through moments where I have some reflection and I think about, okay, this is what I want to see. This is where I want to go. Well, you have to do it in a repeated way. And that means if we're doing that in the classroom, that it has to be really simple and it has to be very specific. It's about the moments. It's not about so many minutes. And I think this kind of goes back, Kevin, to just speaking of the whole piece and the, and the restraints we talked about earlier, really and truly, it's kind of about systems and structures. You know, as schools, we know if we have some good systems and structures as teachers, that does make our day go smoother, but they have to be intentional and they have to serve a purpose. And one of the things I think so exciting about the journey um, curriculum for me is it really does give you some any type of minutes. It could be from 45 seconds like to, you know, half half an hour, whatever. But it's something that we need. And we used to have these. We called them teachable moments and we'd go in and something would happen and we'd stop. But one of the things I found in lots of my research on trauma and school shootings is lots of our kids ex internalize and don't externalize. If we don't have an intentional time to talk to these students, they can go right underneath our radar. If you look at some of the students who ex experience this antisocial behavior, oftentimes they have felt very alone, but people will know them, but they may not truly know, know them. And that's one of the things we want to start talking about is how are we able to help these kids from externalization, not to necessarily always just be an extrovert, but how are they actually being able to process some of these things? And, you know, one of the things that I really have, have grappled with is thinking about how many moments did I miss? How many moments did I miss because I was worried about getting to the next page or to the next chapter, or I knew that something was going to happen? And in elementary school, it seems like there's automatically some built-in time with the schedule, but that can be a big challenge in secondary. And there's often not very many resources for secondary students. And that's why we really want you to review this. We want you to look and see, does this slide in in great places to help kids regulate, to help kids really understand some of the, some of the issues that maybe they're dealing with that they're not even aware of? And being able to just build those connections, you know, that's a huge piece of this as well. Having these moments help us do all of that. And it's still not sacrificing anything else. Absolutely. So as we thought about this theory of change, this idea that small moments repeated over time build excellent psychological habits, we had to ask ourselves two questions. The first was, 
what is a moment? How are we defining this? And so I want to put this definition on screen and let you read it and then pause for a second and think about it because it's a little dense. The definition we came up with was a moment, the ones we're talking about in a classroom, these teachable moments that we're doing on purpose, are intentional, impactful, and low-risk opportunities to consider, reconsider, and build our perceptions of ourselves, others, and the world around us. So if you're on the podcast, I want you to hear that again. So you have intentional, impactful, and low-risk opportunities. And those are opportunities to both kind of consider and reconsider and then build on perceptions of others, ourselves, and the world around us. And I personally think low risk is so important, especially when you begin this with your secondary students, just because of the developmental things they're going through in their emotional life. So just considering that too, is this is about building moments. It's not about, like Jono said, one lesson that's, we always would love that one lesson that would change the world. But realistically, it's about building these moments in to build this capital in these kids and help build those perceptions. When we think about structure, Jono, we, I know we, we, we thought about lots of practices, but we came up with five critical practices really to center us around. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we decided out of all the possible types of moments we might try to create on purpose, there were five that we wanted to start with. Moments for connection, presence, check-in, movement, and celebration. And each one kind of has their own use case and time when you might apply it in a classroom because they're not going to all apply for the exact same reasons. If we think about, uh, for instance, connection, um, what, what, what do you mean by a practice of innovation, John? Uh, yeah, a practice of in invitation. Uh, the Practices of connection really are about an invitation because connection between two people requires two things. It requires curiosity and it requires openness. And that reciprocity has to be present in order for there to be a, a, a genuine connection. So all of our connection opportunities or activities include some type of invitation to share and some type of sentence stem or framework that helps the sharer share whatever they're talking about, whatever story they're sharing uh, in a low risk way so that everybody can have feel, feel successful. I know a lot of us uh, have um, tools in our toolbox to help students kind of come to a mindful place or to practice attention. You might want to put in the chat some of the kinds of practices that you use to help students come to be present. Um, John, while they're writing, you uh, uh, have this word here, discernment. That's a big word. What do you mean by a practice of discernment for check-in? Yeah, absolutely. So check-ins are uh, all about identifying how I'm feeling right now and then discerning where that feeling might have come from and what feelings I might seek in the future as I move forward. Linda Gale, you, you do a lot of work uh, thinking about the physical environment and movement. Why is, why is movement important to regulation or simply to learning in general? Well, you know, it's intriguing, Kevin. I just read this new phrase the other day called embodied cognition. And it's really about how our brain influences our body, but our body also influences our brain. 
So one of the things they found out was students that incorporated movement into their learning strategy remembered 76% of the material, while those who simply just used their brain to memorize recalled only 37%. So it really is about helping retention and even micro movements such as, you know, shifting their weight and doing things help kids be more alert. It helps the ox oxygen in your brain. It also helps release some um, oxytocin. And they're saying now that even some of those small movements or some of those brain breaks, like we're talking about here, can actually find a single workout can improve a student's ability to focus on a task for up to two hours after the activity. And I just know always for me, I, I saw you read something or say something about afternoon. Afternoons are tough. You know, they've had lunch, they're tired, they're ready to do something else. So helping them do that just helps them have more clarity and mental, mental sharpness. Well, we want to give everyone a, just another example of kind of what we've been working on uh, and feel free to give feedback actually in the chat. And again, you all are, are very genuinely invited to be academic reviewers of the set of materials. Uh, and if you are, we'll give you a, a thank you and a shout out uh, in the book. Absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and put my, my take my presenter hat off and put my teacher hat on and address address my classroom of, of two students here, both of which are incredibly poorly behaved and hardly ever listen to me. So while I facilitate this activity, we would love to see in the chat something that resonates with you from what you see, a question that comes up or something that you're reminded of. All right. Linda Gale and Kevin, thank you so much for coming to class today. Before we get started on ionic and covalent bonds, I want to take a quick moment for some connection. Remember, we do this because it's, uh, it's an opportunity to have a moment to get to know somebody else in our class a little bit. And because since we're going to be here all year together, it's important that you know a little bit about each other. Before we go, what I want you to think about and put in your brain is the place that you are from. This could be the actual place where you were born, or it could just be the place that you think of when you think of home, right? Where are you from? And then in a second, I'm going to say go, and I'm going to ask you to take turns telling each other where you're from. The first time you tell Kevin or tell Linda Gale where you're from, you're going to use the actual name of the place. For instance, I would say, I'm from Denver. But then after that, you are not allowed to use the place name again. You must use some type of descriptor that tells the other person about that place. So for instance, if I was from Dallas, I might say, I'm from Dallas. I'm from Caesar's Tacos on a Saturday night. I'm from the Trinity River and the Big White Bridge. If you're actually from Dallas, you're like, man, this guy's been to Dallas before. Mm -hmm. I have. So you're going to do that back and forth, back and forth for about 45 seconds. And then I'll say, stop. And we'll come back together. Are you ready? Set. Go. Okay, I am from small town, Texas. I am from Douglas, Wyoming. I am from long walks to nowhere on hot summer nights. I am from a log cabin in the woods. Oh, that's a good one. I am from more cows than people. <laughs> uh, I am from a one-room schoolhouse in third grade. I am from a family of educators. Uh, I am uh, I am the first in, in my family to go to college. I am um, taking care of cattle and 
dancing the night away in high heels, boots and heels. <laughs> uh, I am from the Rocky Mountain National Forest. I am from um, the, the middle of Texas. All right. Pause. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're still on a roll. I can't let you go all day. But before we get to our lesson, I want to ask you real quick, Linda Gale, go ahead and tell Kevin at least one thing you heard him say and what it made you think of or, or reminded you of. What, what's coming back? Well, I, I just think it's very fascinating because I have known Kevin for a long time and he's truly one of the most learned, brilliant people I know like he is. And to think that he went to school in a one room schoolhouse is fascinating to me. <laughs> and that's a real story, by the way. I ran into that teacher when I was giving a speech on the island of Kauai in Hawaii and he reached out to me. That was just crazy. Yeah, that you is know, I think Linda Gale, you know, I, I, I know you always on stage, always super professional, often in the city. And you have so many things that you talk about as really being, you know, being from the ranch uh, or, or being out in nature. And I, ne I never experienced that side of you, although I can completely see you dancing in boots and heels. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, y'all. Before we wrap up, Real quick, I want to zoom out a little bit and do a little metacognition. Think about that experience you just had, telling somebody where you're from, receiving a little bit of where they're from. And we'll start with you, actually, Kevin. What does that make you want to do or shift or change in your day-to-day -day life? You know, in, in, in my work, there's often conflict in the discussion. It could be conflict uh, in a classroom. It could be conflict between an administrator and, and a board or staff. It could be conflict in my own team. And um, uh, I think that this is a great way to engage uh, conflict because as an activity, you see the person on the other side as a little bit more human. And uh, that's one of the, the, the takeaways for me as the activity. I was going to say, it's to me about, it is about connection. And I think it's um, intriguing how, for example, with Kevin, we both have some things that are very similar, but very different. And, and another thing is both of us came from somewhere that we're not necessarily ending up exactly like that. So the, the ability to see connection and growth is a really cool thing. But I, I, I think this is such a short activity but we did this the other day. I'm going to tell on us. We pra we did practice people a little bit. And it was intriguing to to talk to that and have that just very low pressure, low risk activity, but finding out so much in such a short time about somebody. And I learn new things every time we've done it. So so we've done this three times now. And every time it's, it's, it's very different. And uh, so uh, I'm going to tell stories on you now, Linda Gale. <laughs> no, I'm, you're keeping me on toes. <laughs> so if, if you think about what this means and, and the idea of a moment, again, as compared to a curriculum or some other item, so you have a shared experience and that shared experience is about connecting. And actually, um, the, the neuroscience says that it's the emotion in that connection, even the brief emotion, that actually helps the memory be prepared to remember things in the classroom, to be ready to learn. Um, one of the things we know is that once triggered and, and the student is, um, you know, has their body full of stress and cortisol, they actually can't learn. Um, uh, they, 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 you can't imprint new things in your brain until that's calmed down. And then, and then you have the idea of envisioning, which is a preferred future, something in the future. And again, back to the neuroscience, that's actually about creating trust. Uh, trust happens in that part of the brain. But 
Beyond that, a tool has to be very specific. It has to be easy to use. It, it can't be the Swiss Army knife um, because I just don't have time for that. And I, I want to note in the chat, someone said, are, you know, our moments always scripted. They absolutely are not. Um, but I may well have a specific kind of need in the classroom, and I might not know or remember or just be prepared at a moment's notice to whip something out of my hat. And that was one of the things we were trying to get at. How do I provide tools for the teacher so that when I do have the moment, you know, maybe something has happened in my community. Or um, uh, maybe I have a, a student who's out, or, or maybe there was something disruptive that happened in the school that day. Um, I have a tool that just helps center uh, the students. But it's about that connection with the kids, and the tool has to be easy to use. And, and you know, one thing, Kevin, in the chat just earlier, somebody was talking about, can, do all moments have to be intentional? And no, you're always going to have a teachable moment. But one of the things going back again to incur, including all the children um, in your classroom, this is just an example of, of the activity we just did of how you can really pull every child into that with a partner um, and, and just as a teacher kind of facilitate and listen or maybe your part, partner with the kids you don't feel very close to. And having that toolbox um, just helps you instead of always trying to be on the go as you're moving. Sometimes we get moving so fast we just can't do it. So that one tool depending on your need is really going to hopefully be powerful to you. Yeah, absolutely. The experience that I had in the classroom trying my best to create these types of moments on purpose is that I started to find my style. I started to mm -hmm. lean on the types of moments that I was most comfortable or most confident creating. And those weren't going to be the same ones that my colleagues were going to feel comfortable creating. And so our hope is that these resources provide enhancement and supplemental opportunities to make it so that as you decide as an educator, the types of moments that you're invested in creating for your students, that you can do that on purpose. So that ideally, those beliefs about yourself, about others, about the world around you start to shift and change. And you'll hear me use that refrain, yourself, others, and the world around you, repeatedly, 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 because it's possible that I have a very strong and positive sense of beliefs about myself, but I have some problematic or troubling beliefs about others. I've had kids come up to me and say, Mr. O, Mrs. Johnson does not like me. And as a teacher, I'm thinking in my head, I know you have Mrs. Johnson first period and she probably hasn't had coffee yet. And so maybe she's just like a little short with you. But that student doesn't have that context. And if they truly believe that Miss Johnson doesn't like them, then the behaviors that follow might include things like, well, I'm not going to ask Miss Johnson for help. I'm not going to attend her after hours tutoring sessions. I'm not going to try my best in her class. And I'm not really going to pay attention when she talks because I believe she doesn't like me. But if I can create an opportunity, maybe by suggesting to that child that they go wave hello to Miss Johnson before school, just check, just see if she smiles back at you, right? That might provide them a small opportunity to consider, mm, maybe she doesn't dislike me. And repeatedly, over time, those moments build to the point where I might be willing to shift my beliefs, shift my behaviors, and seek more excellent, more positive outcomes. So, you know, 
uh, one of our colleagues has noted that students uh, uh, have a hard time learning from uh, teachers that they don't like or if they believe that the teacher doesn't like them. Uh, one of our goals here is to provide real tools for relationship recovery because I'm, I may not know. I may not know that I have a relationship with a student that's damaged. That certainly happened with me. I, you know, I, I thought everything was great and it wasn't great. And because these are periods and moments of connection, they are opportunities for relationship recovery, which is critical. And you, you don't even know sometimes that that's needed. Um, so, Jono, give us a sense of, of, of just how, how will it work in the classroom. We have um, more than 80 uh, moments. And again, we're inviting folks to be academic reviewers. Um, uh, we'll give you a shout out in the book. But, uh, and, and we'll give you some samples. Uh, but how does it actually work in the classroom? When might you do this? That, again, is going to be all the way up to the teacher. Whoever is using this might find these moments applicable to a lot of different situations. It might be when students are feeling a little squirrely because they've just had to sit for an exam for a long time and they need to get their wiggles out, so to speak. Oftentimes in elementary school, I think Go Noodle is a tool that is used pretty readily for, uh, for that purpose for younger kids. And these tools are appropriate for older, older children. It might be when the campus has just experienced something traumatic or challenging. We need a moment to pause. It might be after something really important or before something really important. The most important thing I think that we recognized building these resources is that teachers are professionals, that they know their kids better than anybody else, and that it's not that they don't know that these moments are important. It's that it's really hard to pull them out of your back pocket on a moment's notice, no pun intended, unless you have them ready to go. And so our hope is that by providing them ready-made moments, that they'll start to settle down and breathe and in fact, eventually start creating their own. Once you understand what's a, what's a moment, to Tony's point earlier, eventually you can run a moment unscripted with no prompting whatsoever. These are just examples of what they look like. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I, I was thinking, I, I noted someone was saying, you know, they have a check-in in the classroom. Uh, I was saying to the team earlier, I think for myself, if I was still teaching, I'd probably use them as a check-in uh, and then I'd use them as a bell ringer. Uh, and actually the, the, the neuroscience would say that both of those moments, um, because what you're doing is you're providing a metacognitive uh, element along with a positive emotional element, I'm preparing the students to learn, but I'm also helping the brain to remember. Uh, so that's, that's awesome. So if we think about that, um, uh, again, we, we know that, um, you know, this is, this is, um, it is new, um, uh, effective innovation requires kind of rapid testing and feedback. Um, you all know your students better than anyone. So it's a very, very important for us as we are in the co-creative process. Again, we're kind of showing you uh, inside of some of these thoughts and thinking um, that we really take this out and hear from the real world. So um, uh, you will receive, I think, four samples. Um, you actually will give you access to everything, and that is really everything at no cost. I mean, you can see the whole piece, um, uh, along with a link to uh, a survey asking, you know, how to go. What were some of your thoughts? What would you suggest to us? And uh, and we'll give you a call out uh, in the materials because um, 
really it is the combined wisdom. John Hattie calls it combined self-efficacy. It's the combined wisdom of the education community that helps us tackle something that is as difficult is how do you create new habits, new psychological habits for students that may well not have all of the tools to do that. But we have come to firmly believe that it's not a curriculum, it's not a scope and sequence, it's not a piece of software with more data, because I got a lot of that, and it's certainly not an assessment. Um, but it's about the teacher, the human relationship uh, with, with the student. Absolutely. And we can't wait to hear what it's like to put these into practice with your students and even with your colleagues. Uh, the first time I watched Kevin and Linda Gale do the activity that you saw them do today, I saw Kevin's face just brighten in this wholehearted <laughs> smile as he was getting to share not only where he was from, but also learn about Linda Gale. And afterwards, he kind of went like, that was so cool. Because it was. <laughs> And that's a key piece of this is the feedback of that. It's the small little moments. And I just can't go back enough and talk about how important that is, especially with secondary kids. Y'all know that if you're working with them, it just becomes more and more difficult to kind of keep that connection. And it seems like you have certain times of the year where you kind of have the ebb and flow. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. So, Jonna, what's going to happen? There we go. <laughs> you are going, you are, you got it. You are going to receive these materials in a follow-up email. I've also gone ahead and tossed that link to those materials right in the chat. So the, those of you who are, are email attachment averse already have access right now to, uh, to that sample pack of resources. Um, there is a link right on the first slide to submit some feedback to us. And if you are interested in having access to the entire library of resources, you can let us know by submitting that, that feedback form to tell us what it was like. And then this fall, we will be really excited to implement your feedback so that we can make sure that these resources are as effective and as impactful as possible uh, moving into next school year. Excellent. So thank you, everyone. We have a couple of minutes. If there's a, a question, we've been following along also uh, in the chat. Um, a reminder, if you are listening on the podcast or uh, uh, that you signed up for, or you're also listening to the recorded materials, um, uh, you still get to receive uh, those elements. We'll make sure that they are made available to you. Um, uh, it's not often that we all get to be a part of the conversation before things go live. So we hope that you will take advantage of that because we're very sincere in uh, wanting to hear the wisdom of, uh, of your schools. Let's go ahead and move forward, Jono. Um, uh, again, thanks to MePub and Media Publishing. They published my book, Whole, uh, What Teachers Need to Help Students Thrive, uh, Surviving the Storm with Linda Gale Walker. Super, super good book if you haven't read it, full of really interesting tips and tricks and insights. And then this is all uh, a journey. And uh, what we're, the materials that we're talking about here are called uh, The Journey, and you can click to uh, learn more. We'll move forward. You can also register for our next Ed Leader panel. So we're actually doing this presentation as well for educational leaders. It's a little bit different thinking about how you lead teachers and you lead schools through these kinds of opportunities. Uh, we'll have a guest educator uh, with us, uh, and that is next Monday, same time, same bat channel on the EdWeb. Click. So thank you all for attending and giving us a little bit of your time. Thanks to Alicia Schmucky and uh, all of the EdWebers out there. And we'll see you again, and we hope to hear your voice uh, speaking into 
the materials that uh, come out here with the journey. And we'll give you a shout out inside of the book. And there she is. Hey, I am so sorry. I popped on right at four and I was like, oh my gosh, I was supposed to be an opener. So it was great. I was here right on time as you started. Hey, everybody. I know you're still here in the room. I just, you know, this was such a special presentation. Thank you so much for being here. Jono, Linda Gale, Kevin. It was fantastic. Uh, I loved all the exercises and learning what you're doing. And we are really happy to help you get feedback from the EdWeb community, the reviews and the input, you know, that you want. We really want to be a part of that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great use of the EdWeb community. Um, you know, these are, it, it's always advanced educators, advanced leaders. And I, I really do think, and Lisa, you know this from uh, being uh, part of the publishing community for a while, um, right. we just don't have enough opportunity to really let people try and, and get feedback. So, uh, we, you know, this is a co-creative moment and that's something that we believe in. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I know. And you know that I come out of the publishing community so that I and was never in the classroom. So I'm very committed to this way of being able to work together so that we learn from each other. All right. Well, we'll see you next Monday, everybody. We'll see you in the uh, in the Great, email chat. Take care. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, LGW. All right. Wonderful, Jono. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.